to Cubba Cubby Blue, your pitchers and catchers report in one week home for Cubs news, updates, and banter. We're the official podcast of Bleed Cubby Blue, part of the SB Nation family of team sites. And yes, it's been a while, but we are so excited to be back and talking about baseball. I'm Sarah Sanchez. I write about the Cubs for Bleed Cubby Blue. Hi, guys. Andy Cruz, Vanasek, and I am nothing but excited to be back doing this with Sarah Sanchez. Oh, lady, I have missed you so much. It has been way too long since we've had a chance to catch up and talk about the Cubs. How are you? Oh, my goodness. I'm good. I am really good. I am um, feeling a bit um, optimistic, what's new, um, about baseball this year. I mean, there's plenty of room for other emotions, but right now I'm trying to keep the smile and the energy and the happiness because... This is exciting. I'm so excited to be back with you and and talking baseball. And yay, I feel like I haven't talked to you in what feels like forever, but it was last year. I know that sounds like a really long time ago, but it is February. So, (laughs) Well, we text all the time, but yeah, it's been, you know, with all the COVID stuff and work and working from home, plus Andy as a mom and all that jazz, it's been difficult to get some things scheduled, but we are back and we will be talking baseball Every week during spring training and with our game by game or series by series analysis kicking off when the season kicks off. So we're looking forward to that. We have a lot to catch up on. So let's jump right in. So much has happened, y'all. You Darvish, Victor Caratini, Kyle Schwerber, John Lester, and Len Casper are all gone. What even is 2021? Andy is going to have to be the optimistic one here because I feel like this is a crisis. Andy, help me out. Okay, this was okay. This is this is definitely going to be a challenge. I mean, it's Friday. I feel like I've had enough coffee today, and I saved up my energy for this morning for this. So I, gosh, I don't know how to be optimistic about the names that you just said. Honestly, I'm. I think I'm still kind of in shock that these these folks are not with the Cubs. Like, I I I feel like I'm still going to see a U Darvish on the mound in a Cubs uniform. I don't know. It just, I don't think it has fully hit me. I don't think it will until, you know, we see this new revamped Cubs team on the field and these other players in other uniforms. I mean, it just definitely was a shock to me and I will admit it. Like when the U Darvish trade rumors happened, I kind of laughed him off. I was like, no way, no way, no way. That's not going to happen. So here I am eating crow and trying to find a, a, a silver lining to this. I don't know that I can. I mean, I didn't laugh them off. I thought that they were serious. It made sense. Darvish was coming off a monster year. I just wanted a better return. I feel like what the Cubs got back for you, Darvish and Victor Caratini, is so disappointing. And this is no shade to Zach Davies, who I'm sure is a nice guy and like will throw some innings for the Cubs and will cheer for him and like him and everything like that. But really, three years of you, Darvish, plus three years of Victor Caratini, who would be a starting catcher on most teams in the league for one year of a guy who's usually a number three or four in a rotation. He'll be a number two for the Cubs, and we'll, we will certainly talk about the rotation in a minute. And a handful of prospects who are all so young, like haven't had an at bat above instructional league young. And it just, it felt like a sucker punch. Like the team is clearly entering some sort of quasi rebuild. I don't know if Jed thought that 
with nobody making moves in the division early in the offseason, they'd be able to compete with an 85-86 win season. I don't think that's true. <laughs> I also just, if you're going to trade a guy coming off a Cy Young caliber season and a real solid backup catcher, you should probably get more. I mean, yeah, not not even thinking or, or talking about the return on this. Like, that was just, that was definitely a head scratcher. Like, I'm not quite sure. You know, sometimes you can kind of um, attempt to see the, 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 maybe the far off plan on some of these things. This was definitely one of those where you're like, what? <laughs> like, huh? Can, can we get a clue as to what the hell you are doing here? Because that was, that was, yes, the return was definitely a head scratcher. Definitely something that um, I guess we'll have to wait and see type situation because, yeah, I mean, no official at bats above anything other than instructional league for the majority of this haul, if you will. Um, yeah, that's a little, that's, that's a little scary as far as, you know, obviously you Darvish is going to go over there and make an impact immediately. And we have Zach Davies, you know, I mean, <laughs> like, I don't know, I, I guess it, it, again, wait and see, but you just, you know, it, it, it's definitely something that you wish you could have seen a bigger return and definitely something that would somebody that would make more of an immediate impact on our, you know, on field product you know <laughs> we're just not going to see these kids for a while so yeah like 2023 2024 if we are lucky and all goes well for them so it's it, the the return on that was a little bit I don't know just kind of mind-blowing I'm gonna move on to Kyle Schwarber because Andy knows this one hit me right where it hurts I am a huge Kyle Schwarber fan I have long believed that he has excellent exceptional DH upside and that is now going to be with some other team whether it's the Washington Nationals or some team beyond the Washington Nationals it is not going to be in the city of Chicago I how are you feeling about the Cubs no longer having Schwarbino in left field Andy um that's definitely that one did hurt you know and I kind of was one that had said I could see Schwarber being traded and I could see him um, going, whatever, um, or, you know, see him not being a cub in the future. And, you know, I, I'm never saying these things, especially a player like Kyle Schwarber, like to make it happen. I'm saying just as, you know, in my thoughts and what is expendable and what was expendable on that roster, I just kind of pictured Schwarber as somebody that was a little bit more expendable because he was somebody that you had to teach him the position that he was playing, you know, like, he was, he was good at it and he came around and he definitely put the work in and was somebody that I felt more comfortable than when he first started in left field. But you definitely want somebody that is a natural left fielder and somebody that, um, you know, defensively is not a liability in the field. However, Kyle Schwerber was somebody that had such great upside on the offensive side that you're like kind of willing to overlook the, the few mistakes that he had out left field. And like I said, he improved vastly and he was definitely somebody that had hustle. He's a great teammate. I mean, you hear all kinds of positive things about him aside from the defense. So you kind of felt like that um, outweighed the liabilities there, but you know, it's just so hard to give up somebody like him, um, you know, or to not have him wear the uniform. It, it's tough because there are so many great 
baseball memories over the past few years that involve him. You know, I mean, the comeback story of 2016 will, I don't know that that could ever be topped in the Cubs franchise. I mean, that was just an unbelievable story. Um, and, it, you know, I, I may be overselling that a bit, but it, it, that is that is something that is just remarkable. And, you know, his passion for the game and what he did in the community um, definitely, definitely, you know, a lot of positives there that he is taking with to his new team and he will be very much missed among fans and I'm sure his teammates. So the Schwarber non-tender and not coming to terms with John Lester has put me in a position with the Cubs that I have not been in since 2001. And I don't know how many people remember this, but in 2001, Mark Grace was sort of coming to the end of his career and he signaled that he wanted to sign a short-term deal with the Cubs to finish his career in a Cubs uniform to just have only played for the Chicago Cubs. And it didn't make, they said it didn't make a ton of sense. They wanted to try some other options there. And he went to the Diamondbacks and I was furious. I wanted Mark Grace to win a ring more than I wanted the Cubs to win in 2001. (laughs) And frankly, he did that. So, but it was like the only time that I have ever cheered for a team, like actively cheered. I remember there was a series in like August or July of that year where the Diamondbacks came to Chicago, the Cubs were still in the race technically, and I and the Diamondbacks were in the race, and I was actively cheering for the Diamondbacks because I was so furious that the Cubs hadn't brought back Mark Grace. And I sort of have that energy right now with the Padres and the Nationals because I am just furious at the way the core is being dismantled. It's not that I thought the core would last forever. It's not that I thought all of these players would get extended. Clearly, I understand baseball doesn't work that way. It's a business and you have to make decisions. But I thought that if the Cubs ever parted ways with Kyle Schwerber, they would get something in return for that massive bat and all of that upside. I didn't think they would let him walk for nothing. I thought if the Cubs were going to trade you Darvish and Victor Caratini, they would get a massive haul in return, not like the Padres' seventh best prospect and some guys who like, and like Zach Davies, right? Like I... I thought that if the that the Cubs were the type of team that looking at who they want to fill those innings in the back end of the rotation would look at a John Lester and realize that his presence in the clubhouse, his history, his background, his experience makes such a huge difference to some of their young pitchers like Adbert Alzale. And they would just come figure out a way to give that man a one-year deal, let the Cubs cheer for his 200th win, let him walk off his career at Wrigley Field. And they did none of that, Andy, none of it. Like they could, it was just an infuriating offseason for me to watch. (laughs) And in a very real sense, I find myself not cheering against the Cubs that will always be my favorite team. I'm sure I would be back on board the second that I am sitting at Wrigley Field and watching them play. But I am frustrated with the Hoyer era. Yeah, and and to to add on to that frustration just a tad is it's only just beginning like right. this is this is this is what it's starting off as and yeah i mean the john lester portion of this era is probably the most maddening for me because i mean there was so many things that were done wrong um by the cubs in with uh, as far as he's concerned in this off season, I think, you know, he was, I don't want to say desperate, but he was basically like saying, 
you know, I'll take next to nothing just to stay here, you know, like, and I mean, it's John Lester. He had a, a massive contract, but he also earned every penny of that contract in his time with the Chicago Cubs. I, I just don't understand when we stopped viewing these baseball players as human, you know, I mean, this guy still had the, he still had the ability to give you some productive innings in some way, shape or form. He is an absolute grinder. I mean, obvious to what he had done for the Cubs over the past, what, six seasons. It's just, it's just so frustrating that the loyalty that he showed not only the Chicago Cubs, but like, you know, you know, the good teammates, the good folks in the locker room make such a huge difference as to what type of players are attracted to your team, if that makes sense. So like good guys want to be around good guys. And John Lester is a good guy that kept that energy with the Chicago Cubs and he changed the culture of the Chicago Cubs baseball team. And you've heard many people say that in this offseason. For somebody that did so much for baseball, you know, on the North side, it's just such a stab in the heart as a fan to not have management understand that that is important, you know, not only, yes, on the field, you want to put your best players on the field. You want to make sure you have a team that can compete, especially in a division that some deem as very winnable. It, But it's John Lester, man. It's John Lester. Let him do what needs to be done. Let him walk off the field that last time as a Chicago Cub. And it, it just, it's really sad to me. And I, I'm going to be honest, that was an emotional thing for me. Like, I, I think that that was probably the first time that I, I like really got upset in a long time. Like, I hate when baseball ends every year. Like, it's so depressing to me. But I think I actually just got really emotional. Like, let a couple tears fall maybe even when John Lester when it was said that he was not coming back to 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 Chicago to finish his career as a Chicago Cub which is you know so sad for so many reasons yeah I, two things I want to say here one John Lester did like a 20 minute interview with the CBS fantasy guys earlier this week and Cubs fans should absolutely check it out I mean it's classic Lester he doesn't throw anyone under the bus He does all the things that you would like to hear from John Lester, right? He tells you a little bit about what's going on. He says wonderful things about the city of Chicago. But the thing that really jumped out at me here is he talked about waiting around for an offer. And it just sounds like the Cubs let this go for too long. And whatever financial flexibility they found in the weeks after Lester signed with the Nationals and Schwarber signed with the Nationals, and they finally like opened up their pocketbooks for Jock Peterson, who we'll talk about in a second. They didn't find that financial flexibility soon enough. And in doing so, they put Lester in a position where he's like sitting around waiting and it's three weeks until pitchers and catchers report and he just had to make a decision, right? <laughs> like that is how, and that is not how you should treat a guy who changed the fortunes of your franchise. It is just not a thing that I think Theo Epstein would have ever done. One of the th- many things Theo prided himself on was active communication and transparency with players, with fans. And so that was really hard to see that miss, right? To see them not do well by a man who has meant so much to the North side of Chicago and so much to Chicago Cubs fans. And then look, 
no offense to Trevor Williams. He's a younger guy than John Lester. I'm sure we'll all like him if he does good things in a Cubs uniform. But is there anyone who's looking at Trevor Williams history and whoa, that home run per fly ball rate and thinking that you wouldn't rather have 170 innings from John Lester? Because I would rather have 170 innings from John Lester. (laughs) I agree. And for the record, John, I know you're probably not listening to this, but just so it's on record. I would never make you wait. Never. <laughs> I would, you would be my first offer. Like seriously, that that's ridiculous. I, I hope, I know I'm not alone. I think the only person that made you wait is the person that actually made you wait. <laughs> yeah. So, like, get it done in November. I, <laughs> right. Right. So I understand that you had to move on. Like I get that. That's, that's completely understandable. I'm more disappointed in the fact that it came to that point. It should have never came to that point. But yes, I, you're 100% correct. There, there's, there's many things that are alarming about the fact that they could not see John Lester contributing to this pitching staff in some shape or form for 2021. I just, I just don't understand how they couldn't see that. I mean, probably not to the level that he would have been when he was initially signed as a Chicago Cub, but he still would have been able to give us something. Right. And you've got to think that lots of, I mean, lots of this is the Theo to Hoyer switch. And Andy, you were on top of this saying that Theo might not like ride out that last year of his contract. I know that I was kind of a skeptic there, but seeing the moves that the team has made this offseason, it's become abundantly clear to me why Theo didn't want that to be the the rest of his legacy in Chicago. Like it was probably a pretty good time to walk away, even if he did leave $10 million on the table and let Jed own the rebuild and whatever comes after. And who knows, maybe it will be great, right? Maybe Trevor Williams turns it around. Jack Peterson is probably a better defender than Kyle Schwarber and the bat looks almost identical. Although I think Schwarber has a little bit more upside Maybe you, Darvish, that was really his last great season and Zach Davies is going to be incredible. I don't know. Like, maybe this all works out. It just sort of feels like it's hard to be excited (laughs) about the Hoyer era. I did a jig when the Cubs hired Theo Epstein, and I am not dancing because of the Hoyer era yet. Uh, Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and second that. I'm doing the opposite of dancing. So um, whatever that is, Jed, if you can like start working on making us do another jig, that would be great. Like the time is winding down and I want to feel excited enough to dance and it's not happening. Yeah. Dancing is a Cubs tradition. We dance in the bullpen for home runs. We dance in the stands. We dance when we get awesome new vice presidents of baseball operations. So I am waiting to do my first Hoyer dance of all of the losses that we have just uh, Chronicle, Theo, Schwarber, Lester, Caratini, you Darvish. I think the biggest loss for the Chicago Cubs in this offseason was Len Casper. And I was stunned. That was a shocking loss. What do you think, Andy? Like my stomach just turned when you did that whole rundown. Like seriously, my stomach turned. Yeah, Len Casper is a huge blow. Huge and I did not see that coming. I was completely blindsided. That was another one that I think I had to choke back the tears a little bit because, I mean, Len Casper, it, it, forever ingrained in my brain as the voice of the Chicago Cubs. One of the voices of the Chicago Cubs that's ingrained in my brain, but probably the one that, you know, when you think of 
some of the playoff runs that the Chicago Cubs have had over the last few seasons, um, namely 2016, obviously the main one that him calling that final out, you know, um, not he wasn't calling it. Joe Buck was calling it, but him talking about it like on our podcast and hearing him talk in other interviews and things like that. I mean, just some of the plays that season, you know, hearing him get excited when a home run would leave the, the, the field. It, it just, uh, there's just so many, like seriously right now I'm, I'm getting a little bit verklempt because it's like, seriously, Len Casper, man, Len Casper, it, it that's going to be a really tough adjustment for me this year. That is going to be very tough, but I'm, we'll get into this. I mean, the replacement is, is going to be awesome, but it's still, it's, it's not Len Casper. Yeah. Of all of the possible replacements they could have had, Boog was at the top of my list. And we're going to talk about that in just a second. I do want to go back to Len for just one second. You know, he joined us for an episode of Cup of Cubby Blue last off season. And I was so impressed by that conversation. If you have not listened to it, you should go back and listen to it. We'll retweet it this week just so people have it at the top of their feeds. But one of the things that I remember him talking about so clearly that I was just very impressed by was the amount of trust and like the friendship between the play-by-play announcer and the fans and how that, you know, how that relationship grows over time. And I thought that he just had such a good understanding of Cubs fans, of his role, of the back and forth with JD. You know, there are some broadcasters who, like Andy said, they are just the voice of the team. And and no offense to like Chip Carey or Tom Brenneman, I don't really think of them that way, even though they did announce for the Cubs for a time. But Len Casper is in that pantheon, right? Like he's up there with Harry Carey as the guy that you hear in your head when you're thinking about the Cubs. And for the People who are a little bit older than Andy and I, the generation ahead of us, the people who would put Jack Brickhouse in that same category. I think Len is a Hall of Fame caliber announcer. I am so sad (laughs) that the Cubs could not figure out a way to keep him. But the other thing I remembered from that interview was him talking about listening to those Tigers games when he was a kid and his love of radio. And I think he knew he didn't have really a radio opening with the Cubs anywhere in the future and he could call a World Series on the radio for the White Sox. So I understand it, but it was still a huge blow. Yeah, for sure. And, and, you know, he was somebody in that interview, like, I will never forget that. The one thing I think that stuck, that has stuck with me, and like you mentioned this, when I think of voices of the Chicago Cubs, it is literally Harry Carey and Len Casper. That's, that's it. That's all that, like, I think of. I've heard a few. I've heard quite a few, but those are the two that stand out. And he was, he was almost childlike when he talked about, you know, doing radio. Like, you could just tell that the excitement in his voice. So, yeah, when that came about, when that, um, when that kind of came out, that that's the reason why he wanted to move over to the White Sox that made sense. And, and I get it, but at the same time, it's like, man, that just hurts. And, you know, I'm excited for the White Sox. I am not a White Sox fan. I mean, I will cheer for them. Um, if there's nothing else to do on any given day, um, I don't hate them. I mean, I dislike them. I don't hate them. The hate is more strong for other teams, but I, you know, this, I'm excited for them, but I'm also like, man, the White Sox, really? (laughs) Like, 
at least it wasn't the Cardinals, but the White Sox. Are we right. Sure? Are we sure? It's like the Cardinals would have been worse, but like the like the White Sox. I know I like the White Sox. They're an exciting young team. I watch them uh, frequently when they don't conflict with the Cubs and go down to the South Side to watch a game now and again. You know when we can go to baseball games, but. Yeah, that was a little bit of a sucker punch. Let's look at the good news here, though, because, you know, the Cubs did get some players uh, that we can be a little bit excited about. I think that the acquisition I'm most excited about this offseason, though, no offense to Jack Peterson, Jake Marisnik, Trevor Williams, is Boogs Giambi. That was probably the only person they could have signed to replace Lynn Casper that I was not going to complain about. A hundred percent. And I really, I kind of laughed this one off too. I was like, no way. Like, seriously, that's an option. If that's an option, we better get him. And like, not too much longer after that, did we sign him? So, uh, you know, I'm excited. I really like him. He is definitely, um, I think when I, <laughs> I think of him, I think of him on um, Sunday Night Baseball and I'm certainly going to miss him on Sunday Night Baseball because... <laughs> Who knows who they'll replace him with. But um, I always love his insight and his personality. And I think, you know, he's going to be a great combo with JD. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear what he brings. And I think more so I'm excited because he's excited. Like you can tell that he is very amped to be doing, you know, Chicago Cubs baseball the entire season. And I think that is definitely you know, something that is important. And of course, anybody is going to say that. But some of the stuff that I read his interviews and, and heard him talk about it, it it's really, it, it's quite fascinating to me, some of the memories that he has at Wrigley. And, and you know, it just, it, it's, it'll be awesome to hear his excitement in, in, in the field, in the park, and to be there day in, day out, and be able to tell some of the stories that he tells, because I feel like he has some good ones. And, um, I'm just, I'm really excited about this. This is definitely the high, the high point of the off season for me. Yeah. <laughs> is that same. Bad? Is that bad? <laughs> I, no, I, it's just obvious. Like Boog, welcome to Chicago. You are the, you are the bright spot in a very dim off season for Cubs fans. Like I, <laughs> it's like Boog Skiambi and then a big drop off. And then I guess Jock Peterson, like, yay. Right. <laughs> Right. I was thinking that, but I'm like, you know, I can, I can see myself by mid season loving Jack, but right now I'm going to focus on bug. Cause that's what I got. <laughs> right. Yeah. To totally the same. We need to take a quick break for our sponsors, but on the flip side, we are going to look at a couple of different things. Uh, there are Chris Bryant trade rumors. Again, it feels like this is just going to be a state of nature for the rest of our existence. We're also going to talk about Major League Baseball's plans to deaden the baseball and why they made that announcement. We're going to look at their new harassment policy in the light of accusations against Jared Porter and Mickey Calloway. And we're going to talk about the Nolan Arenado trade that actually made the Cardinals competitive. But first, a quick break. All right, Andy, you know, the Chris Bryant trade rumors have been going for, what, three and a half seasons now. Ironically, this is the season that the Cubs manipulated his service time so that they would get an extra year of Chris Bryant. And it feels like the poor guy just lives in trade rumor land. They finally died down a little bit when Jed Hoyer said that they were not going to trade Chris Bryant for anything other than a haul of prospects 
late in the offseason. But lo and behold, yesterday, there are those rumors again that the Mets might be trying to make a deal for the Cubs third baseman. What are your thoughts on KB and his future with the Cubs? <laughs> he is going to be retired, long gone, like grandpa, like in Florida somewhere. And there's still going to be Chris <laughs> Bryant trade rumors. Like this poor guy, like I just feel for him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, definitely based on what we've seen happen this offseason, there has to be some kind of haul involved. Um, and it, I mean, it, not just a haul, but something that, you know, I mean, selfishly speaking, that gets me excited because <laughs> right now, like, I'm desperate for that. And I mean, yeah, you want prospects, but who's going to play third base? Can we get <laughs> like, prospects who aren't 17 years old for Chris Bryant? <laughs> that would be cool. Can we get a guy who might play in 2022? I, 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 2022 is a good goal. That's a good goal. I like that. That's, a good, that's realistic. I mean, you know, I got into all of these arguments on BCB when I wrote my article about the U Darvish trade. And full disclosure, if you didn't read that one, I, I said it was a fire sale. And I think that that trade was trash. I'm still angry about it. But I, a lot of people saying, you don't know, these prospects look good, like scouts like them, whatever. I'm sure they do. Like they're 17 and 18 year old kids though. <laughs> and we have no idea if they'll ever play major league baseball. It is really hard to get through the minor leagues and development. And none of these players are in like the top 100 prospects or anything like that. They're kids who could be great someday or could never take an at bat for the Chicago Cubs. Right. So it's just I, I would like a prospect or a return package for a former MVP that includes somebody that I am like 95 percent certain will play baseball at some point in time at a high level. <laughs> I'm laughing to keep from crying. OK, that's <laughs> the truth here. That is the truth. Yeah. I mean, 100 percent. This seems like an obvious thing. This seems like a no brainer. But then you look at the U Darvish trade and you're like, uh, maybe not. Uh, you know, it, it just, you have to, you have to get somebody that, you know, can we at least get like some triple a prospects? Like, is that too much? To Whoa, for? Andy. Whoa. I know. I know. Calm down. Calm down. I mean, that, that is asking a lot. As we were recording <laughs> an article from our friends at Bleacher Nation came across my feed and, and it's basically a quote from Clayton Kershaw about the U Darvish trade and why he thinks that it's not the best thing for the game of baseball. And I'm just going to read this quote from Kershaw because I think it's so good. He says, there's a lot of smart guys in front offices. Figure something out that's easier to do than just trading away a star. For example, a potential Cy Young award winner in Yu Darvish, who has been one of the top five pitchers in baseball for a year and a half, for prospect prospects that could potentially be good, but they're 17, 18 years old. And Zach Davies is a great pitcher. But to me, that's just not, for the Cubs to do that, it's not good. It's just not good. Agree with Kershaw. And can we get a package that doesn't make all of us go, well, this is bad for the game of baseball. <sighs> Sarah, I mean, what do we even do at this point? Like, <laughs> seriously, it, it's it. Yeah, I mean, some of the other things that are happening around baseball, I, I, you know, we could all throw our problems into a ring and I'd probably still pick the Chicago Cubs problems, but come on, man. I mean, like <laughs> he would, it's Chris Bryant. Like, I know he has not exactly, you know, 
his numbers are are decent over the past couple seasons. They have not been his rookie season. They have not been his MVP season. But he's still Chris Bryant. He still has that in him. Um, it just to me, I just I don't understand. If you come if you come to the Chicago Cubs with any package short of somebody that can play on the field, whether it be in a you know platoon situation or pinch hitting or pinch running, whatever that can do that right away. And a couple prospects that hell we'd be happy to see in 2022. <laughs> right. Right. Please, please let's be realistic about what your offer is for Chris Bryant. Okay. Please. Okay. So let's, there is a sliver of good news here. There's like a tiny, like silver lining around the dark cloud of the off season. Somehow after that terrible off season, after losing you Darvish, after replacing Victor Caratini with some combination of PJ Higgins and I don't know who, after like a straight sw- swap for Schwarber and Peterson, replacing Lester with Williams, the Cubs are projected by Pakoda to finish second in the NL Central in a functional tie with the Milwaukee Brewers, which I find fascinating considering these numbers were ran after absolutely asinine trade where the Rockies paid the Cardinals to take Nolan Arenado in exchange for Gomber and a bunch of guys who are not the Cardinals top prospects. So I guess yay that the Cubs might still be second. I don't know. Pakota is not my friend and (laughs) I don't really trust anything that that man says to me. So I don't know. This is just crazy talk. Like, (laughs) The whole, I mean, are we ready to talk about Arenado? Like, is that, is this a thing? Because I am, like, just mind blown at this, at this whole thing. Like, it, it, it just, you know, and of course, I live in St. Louis, just to refresh your memory, because you haven't heard me say it yet, this podcast. What, I mean, I got to deal with these people all over again over Nolan Arenado. All over again. Like, you don't understand the level to which the ignorance flows when they get somebody like Nolan Arenado. But also, thank you for letting Dexter be on a team that I can cheer for. Because, (laughs) thank God, I can finally be okay with cheering for Dexter Fowler again. (laughs) I'm just, I am mind blown. I'm just mind blown. Okay, so I'm definitely going to talk more about the Nolan Arenado deal because I think it's ridiculous that there was a trade in Major League Baseball that would be rejected in like every fantasy league I've ever played in. But to return to the (laughs) Dexter Fowler thing for one second, when that happened, do you remember in the Lord of the Rings where Schmeagol is like arguing with his like bad Schmeagol in his head and he's like wins the argument finally and the voice goes away and he's like, Schmeagol is free. I could... I totally had this moment in my mind where I was like, Dexter is free. <laughs> he had liberated from the power of the Cardinals over his existence. I don't know. <laughs> like That's showing, awesome. showing how much of a geek I am there. <laughs> no, I, okay. So I, I can understand the situation, but I, I don't want anybody to throw anything at me, but I've never watched Lord of the Rings. <gasps> and Okay. Or well, Harry Potter. <laughs> I'm just going to send you this one scene because the, the like the gif image of this and like Dexter being free from St. Louis is, is beyond perfect. Uh, Lord of the Rings is quite the time commitment. And I don't know if you have nine hours to devote to 
the whole thing. Not not today. Not today. <laughs> not today. <laughs> um, okay. Anyway, back to this Nolan Arenado trade. I I wrote a piece about this. I think it is bad for baseball to send baseball's biggest stars plus cash and get nothing in return. I think it's bad for baseball in a way that the commissioner's office should have been like, no, you can't do that because it depresses player value and is bad for the game. I I think that it's bad for the competitiveness of the game in a way that, like I said earlier, would be rejected in every fantasy league I've ever played in. Like, could you imagine you're in your fantasy league and you're like, Nolan Arenado for Gomber and some prospects? No. (laughs) The answer is no, right? Like, uh, I don't know. They, my like my my people that I know that play fantasy would be like, of course that trade would come from a girl. Right. <laughs> <You know? laughs> these are the these are the types of trades that get like proposed on message boards and people are like, get out. That's not how major league baseball works. <laughs> right, right. But yet it goes through. But yet, no worries. Major league can totally a major league team can totally do that. That seems completely doable. I'm like, seriously, come on. Like you people are not thinking about me at all, and what what I will have to deal with this season now with Nolan Arenado in a in a Cardinals uniform. I'm Let so the sorry. Scott Rowland comparisons begin. Oh, I'm so Jeez. sorry, Andy. I know it's gonna be it's gonna be a miserable <laughs> gloating time for Cardinals fans. I've already got people uh, in my mentions talking about how wonderful Nolan Arenado is gonna fit with the car. I just can't. I can't. I mean, uh, and it's all about me. I'm not worried about anything <laughs> but me. <laughs> Poor, poor me. Nice. Well, let's just be glad that Pakoda thinks that even after that, all the Cardinals did is raise themselves almost to the level of the Cubs and the Brewers. And it sees a real uh, tight race in the NL Central again. Although since none of these teams cares about winning more than like 85, 86 games, it kind of looks like whoever wins that race is just going to get out of the playoffs real fast in October. (laughs) I mean, like I said, I think Pakoda's drunk, so I don't know. I, I mean, Pakoda, you need to call an Uber or something. I Listen, I, th- this guy, he is something else. You know, every season he makes me angry about what he says about the Cubs, and then he goes and says some stuff like this this season when we've had potentially the worst offseason we've had in <laughs> how long. Like, seriously, Pakoda, put the, put, the, put the shot down, put the Malort down, and head home. It's time. <laughs> Malort. So we should make our own projection system called Malort. We just need to figure out what Malort stands for. I feel like <laughs> I feel like this would be the greatest contribution Cuffa Cubby Blue could have to the Chicago baseball scene. And Andy, we're totally going to at least yes, like yes. jokingly come up with this. The Malort projection system coming soon. Um Maybe the Malort projection system will take into account things like Major League Baseball admitting that they have been messing around with the baseball. And I just want to lay out the timeline here because I think it's important and I think it has been radically undercovered. So a week ago from, we're recording on Friday, February 12th, a week ago from today, Major League Baseball sent a memo to their teams explaining that they were slightly deadening the ball for 2021 By slightly, they mean that they intend to bring the ball back to 2017 levels. We'll talk about that in a second. On Monday, that memo somehow, whether through a team or through MLB or whoever, gets leaked to The Athletic. The Athletic publishes a story that MLB will deliberately deaden the baseball. This is huge news because it's the first time 
that MLB has admitted they are tinkering with the ball since they brought, bought a controlling interest in Rawlings in 2018. However, hours after that story drops, an absolute bombshell in Sports Illustrated from Stephanie Epstein and friend of the show, Dr. Meredith Wells, the astrophysicist who's been cutting up baseballs for years now to explain to us that something is different and wrong, and this is why all the home runs are happening, drops in Sports Illustrated. And in that piece, there is a line that says, after Sports Illustrated contacted MLB for comment on this story, they sent a memo to teams explaining they would deaden the ball for 2021. So I just have to say, this looks like straight up PR damage control to me, and I want more people to be talking about this. Well, and let's not forget the fact that this Sports Illustrated piece had been, um, I mean, the research behind it has been worked on for how long now? Months. I mean, yeah, yeah. So it's not, you know, this is obviously something that, and we've been talking about baseballs being manipulated for years, being the, the makeup of the baseballs being switched, being changed. Something something is, was different for a couple of years. We Way back to 2017, speaking. at least. Right. 2017 right. was when the first article yes. started, Daffy. So this is something that has obviously been on people's radar. And whether or not Major League Baseball chose to pay attention to the radars it was on, they decided when Sports Illustrated was coming out with this huge drop of all this information, of all this research that's been done, I mean, the graphics in this are second to none. Like, you can see the inside of the ball. It's just so cool how they do this. It's very cool. But, yeah, it, it struck a nerve with Major League Baseball. They kind of hit the oh, crap button. And, yeah, 100% had to do some damage control because this just does not look good. This looks extremely shady. This looks um, like all of a sudden they're doing us a favor by trying to be transparent. No, not the case at all. They've been very non-transparent for a lot of seasons and all of a sudden decided since somebody was going to, going to, you know, make this huge drop of information that they needed to, they needed to, you know, proactively, um, put something out there. And I just think it's, it's kind of ridiculous. And I think the thing that probably, makes people the most angry, the most upset about it is go back to what Sarah said. They own part of Rawlings. Like they own the people that make the baseballs. So think about that for a second. Think about what that means. That is not okay. That seems very wrong to me. Like it, it, there's just something very sketchy, very um, not, not ethically appropriate happening here and and I think the sports illustrated piece you definitely if you've not read that I've shared it a couple times I know Sarah shared it it's been all over the place you guys have to read it there is a ton of information but it is so cool and it is so neat how they do this and these women put in so much time and, and energy into this research into this article and it's just so well written also Sarah has done um at least one piece that I've read if not two in the last month um, kind of um, hinting around this and giving more information behind it too and, and kind of combining some other pieces that have done regarding it. So definitely look those up. You guys, seriously, this is something that you need to pay attention to because otherwise stuff like this gets swept under the rug and it's just, 
you know, I don't think this will, because I think now that this information is out, it's out and like people know about it and there's going to have to be some accountability at some point, but it's really important to know that there's other factors behind why people are hitting the ball at the, the rate that they're hitting it, why pitchers are able to hit speeds that they've never been able to hit before, things like that. There is so much science behind it, and it's just so fascinating. Do yourself a favor and read all this. Absolutely. I have a couple of pieces on this. One that sort of lays out a timeline that was in response to MLB's announcement for deadening the ball, and one where, I mean, I make the case that this is a PR move. This is not they're not being transparent. They're not trying to help people. If they were, if they wanted to go for transparency, they would have told the owners they were going to deaden the ball before 95% of their rosters were set and before they had signed a bunch of free agents based on data that no longer applies. They did not do that. They did it after they knew that a story was going to drop that proved that they had been manipulating the ball. And I think that's important. The one thing I want to add about the Sports Illustrated story, and then we'll move on to a couple of other implications from this baseball change is that it reads like a spy novel, right? Like you've got people smuggling baseballs out of stadiums, worried (laughs) they're going to lose their jobs because they're giving baseballs to independent scientists to study. Like actual people who are like, I can't give you my real name because if MLB finds out I was the source of the balls, I will get fired. There are secret codes apparently in the leather of the baseball that tell you when it was made and that like let you know which batch it was part of. I mean, it is fascinating stuff, outstanding work by both Stephanie Epstein and Dr. Meredith Wills to get this out into the public. And it should not be buried by the fact that MLB decided to have an emergency transparency moment in order to try to get ahead of this story. You owe it to yourself to read this and educate yourself on this particular issue. If for no other reason, then there are players who have been hitting a lot of wall scrapey home runs lately, what uh, StatCast and Baseball Savant calls doubters, that are not going to get those home runs next year. There are pitchers who have been giving up a bunch of those doubter home runs. Those are supposed to be long flyouts. Those pitchers have inflated ERAs that should have been lower because those should not have been home runs with a manipulated baseball. And finally, and then I'll turn it back to Andy, I don't think MLB actually knows what the consequences of what they're trying to do will be. By which I mean, they tell you they want to deaden it back to 2017 levels. But does anybody actually trust that whoever's working at Rawlings making these changes understands how to get back to exactly what they did in 2017? If they do, it's proof they were manipulating the ball in 2017. Because I think what's more likely to happen is they'll deaden it too much or they won't deaden it enough. Or there will be some other weird fluky thing that happens that causes another rash of pitcher blister injuries because they accidentally did something different with the ball that they didn't mean to do. Well, I want to just mention something here because this kind of pertains to um, a new player that will be wearing a Chicago Cubs uniform this year. And I feel like Jack Peterson um, will do well in Wrigley Field. So if they start messing with the ball and Jack Peterson doesn't do well in Wrigley Field, we're going to have some problems. Um, Let me just tell you, I watched him play a couple of times over the past uh maybe two seasons at um bush and bush obviously is a bigger field than wrigley and he crushes the ball at bush crushes it and he is a good hitter he is a good hitter it will be um it'll be awfully interesting to see what he does at wrigley but 
if all of the sudden he crushes the ball for two seasons at Bush or anywhere for that matter, and then now becomes a Chicago Cub and Major League Baseball decides they're going to, you know, tinker with the ball again. And Jack Peterson comes in and hits a bunch of doubters. Uh, I, I'm not going to be happy. And and like we've already stated, this is all about me. <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to be happy with that either. I doubt any team that has made decisions to offer players millions of dollars or to part ways with players who they would have offered millions of dollars to have those manipulated by an equipment factor that they were not informed of. I, I would be furious if that were my job. And I think that most of us would be. Um, beyond that, I just think that they're not good at this, right? Like they are clearly, they wouldn't have had the home run spike they had in 2019 if they knew what they were doing in terms of manipulating the baseball. Oh, 100%. 100%. And and now I think it's just, a, you know, a roller coaster ride over the next seasons on them tinkering with the ball until they get it to the point where, you know, it's it makes baseball, you know, exciting again or, it, it you know, whatever numbers go up that year. You know what I mean? Like whether it's money spent at a ball field or money spent on tickets or teams hitting the most home runs or whatever. But I think we're going to see that, it, you know, it's going to be the tinker show. Now they're going to start messing with the ball every season until they get it to where they want it to be in it. Who, who even knows what that is? I mean, major league baseball obviously is all about the Benjamins. So, you know, I mean, whatever, whatever the case may be, whatever they feel, you know, brings in the most cash is, is going to be where they stop. And, and who knows when that is, or if they can even do that at this point. Well, the other element that was in that story from Ken Rosenthal and Eno Saris about the deadening of the ball that didn't get as much play, but probably should have, they also announced that they're going to add five humidors to some parts. Now, they didn't say which parts, so you have no idea if your team is going to be impacted by the humidor or not. I guess we'll just figure that out later when the home run rates mysteriously drop in certain places. But what even is that? It feels like you should... Like, that's information that is necessary to be specific on, right? Like, what is the point of telling us there are going to be five more humidors without telling us where they are? Uh, yeah, that would be helpful information. <laughs> like, <what> surprise! <laughs> Here's MLB is dropping something off at the back gate. Can we maybe know what it is? Oh, Lord. Uh, Speaking of MLB messing things up and not being particularly transparent, Andy, I don't know if you had a chance to look at their new harassment policy. I glanced at it. I got a chance to compare it to the old harassment policy. I mean, props to Major League Baseball for implementing a third party reporting structure so that people can get their concerns out there without having to maybe report it to a supervisor that they don't think is going to be listening to them. But I have two questions here. One, how did you not have that already? And two, Brick Rowley at The Athletic had a tweet when she was talking about this where she, and and this is the only place I've seen this information, but she said, now MLB executives will be required to take discrimination and harassment training like players and other staff. And are you meaning to tell me that MLB front office staff didn't have to take that training before? Because that has been like standard in every workplace for 15 years. I mean, it's all around pretty disappointing to me. Like, I can't believe that um, a, a company like 
Major League Baseball is so reactionary on this stuff. Like, why the heck would you have not put something like this into the into play years and years ago? I mean, every major corporation has some sort of harassment policy in place. And yeah, like you said, everybody is 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 accountable. They're held accountable. They have to go to these trainings or attend trainings or do online trainings. And, 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 you know, why would major league baseball executives be left out of that? Like, I just, I don't understand. I don't, I don't understand the irresponsibility. And like I said, why so reactionary? Like they need to start being more proactive on these things, especially when these stories start coming to light. It's really kind of putting the spotlight on them as being very, um, look the other way, you know, like, um, we know it happens, we know it goes on or whatever else, or, you know, it's most likely happening within baseball somewhere, but we're not going to actually, you know, face it head on until it, it, it's something that is public. Cause you know, that these people know, you know, that, that, that there is other situations like this, um, where it probably hasn't come to light yet. The right person hasn't spoken up. It hasn't gotten on the right desk. It hasn't made it into somebody's voicemail yet, but there's got to be other situations of this. And it just, to me, I just hate that. It's so reactionary, especially when, you know, some of these things that we've heard are just so disturbing, you know, I mean, and, and, and done in front of other people that did not speak up or did not, you know, maybe they did and maybe it was pushed under the rug but it's it, to me it just feels like at some point or another there had to have been somebody that saw or heard something that should have done more you know and i it just it bothers me and and uh, the world is changing and and women are everywhere i know it's scary guys it's scary <laughs> we are everywhere <laughs> so now it's now it's time to learn how to play nice with us <laughs> right. We're not we're not going anywhere. We're here. Right. We're, we're here to stay. Share uh, your toys, gentlemen. <laughs> no, ser- in all seriousness, I'm with you. I feel like it's one of these situations where yes, thank you for doing a good thing. Why this couldn't have been done honestly over a decade ago is beyond me. It it calls into question for me the amount of trust I have that Major League Baseball will investigate these things appropriately, right? Even with a third-party reporting structure, who who is doing that investigation matters. It matters for who they take seriously and who they listen to and what they follow up on and why. And th- you just need to do better, MLB. It, it is not enough to do these sort of like Band-Aid solutions that everybody's like, well, yay, glad you did that, but how did you not have that already? Right. Yeah. You're definitely not getting a pat on the back from me on that. Um, and, and I understand what you're saying. And yes, I'm glad that they, they finally bucked up and did something, but it should have already been there. Like, that's just ridiculous to me that it, you know, it takes stuff like this for them to, to do something. And, you know, I mean, I, I can continue to beat this dead horse, but the bottom line is, I mean, you know, it's 2021 y'all like it, it's time to, <laughs> It's it's time to get real, you know? I mean, there there's some things in this world that are changing and people need to jump on or get out of the way, you know? It's it just it, one of those things. And I really hope that this at least um, 
this at least will protect people, the people that it's meant to protect, that, that there is some light brought to the treatment of folks, um, of, of how folks are being treated by, by major league baseball professionals, um, from all levels of baseball. And I really hope that, you know, this, this makes a difference and this protects some of them because it's just not okay. It's not okay. And anybody that looks the other way because it's some big name coach or it's some big name player, I mean, you're just as guilty. Like this is just not, you know, it it needs to be controlled. It needs to be a safe, comfortable environment for everybody. And hopefully we're well on our way to that. Could not agree more. Here's hoping that major league baseball is a safer place for women and all people who have been dealing with issues of harassment or discrimination going forward. We will be tracking that story, the baseball, what is going on with these Chris Bryant trade rumors, what the Cubs can look forward to. It is less than a week before pitchers and catchers report. Wilson Contreras is out there tweeting that he is ready. And you know, that means that I'm ready too. We will be back (laughs) next week with everything you need to know about the Cubs as spring training opens here at Cup of Cubby Blue. Until next time, you can find me at at BCB underscore Sarah. You can find Andy at at BRYZ underscore blue. You can find both of us at at Cup of Cubby Blue. And we are back because baseball's back. Bye.